We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning we're looking again at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 22, taking verse 19 only for our text. Because in verse 19, the Apostle Paul tells us that those of us who once were afar off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we're no longer foreigners, strangers, aliens, but now we are members of the household of God. And you know if you've been with us through this entire series that we talked about the household of God. And that definition literally means we're a part of God's immediate family. That's good news to you and me. God is my father. Jesus is my brother. I'm a part of his immediate family. In this series, we've talked about because we're a part of his immediate family, we find forgiveness. We receive mercy and we find grace to help in times of need. We find the healing power of Jesus Christ because we're a part of the family. Last week, we talked about the fact that we find his plan and his purpose for our life because we're members of the family. This week, I want to talk to you on another topic, another aspect of being a member of the family of God, but I kind of want to set it up a little different if you'll let me do that. Steve, I need this other uh, handheld mic on, please. So as uh, as we do this, I just want to ask a question. Give me your immediate answer. Don't think about it, just immediate, all right? So when I say God is, how do you finish that statement, Chuck? Love. God is love. When I say God is, Mary, how do you finish that statement? Faithful. Faithful. When I say God is, how do you finish that statement, David? Is peace. He's peace. When I say God is, what do you immediately think? Most people immediately think the very first thing that Chuck said from 1 John chapter verse 4, 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Let me get that straight. And that is God is love. But I believe there's a lot of misconceptions about the love of God. A lot of things that are really not accurate biblically and scripturally when we talk about this particular attribute of God our Father. So this morning we want to look at the love of God and what it really does mean to us and how you and I as born-again spirit-filled believers can never escape the love of God. We'll never outrun the love of God. The love of God will never leave us, and that's good news to you and me. Amen? So look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. The Bible says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When I think about the love of God, I'm firmly convinced there is no attribute that has greater press, that is more widely believed than God is love. Yet at the same time, I think there's no attribute of God that is more misunderstood, misrepresented, misinterpreted than God is love. So we're going to talk about this morning, a lot of what we think about the love of God is just factually untrue from the Scripture. Kind of like the little girl who was sitting in the service, and the pastor preached on loving your enemies. So she pulled out an offering envelope at the end of the service, flipped it over, wrote on the back, Dear Pastor, I am only six years old. I don't have any enemies, but maybe by the time I'm seven, I'll have some that I can love. We misunderstand the word of love of God, don't we, many times. And when we talk about the love of God, everybody that's been in church more than three days has heard of the three types of love, the eros, the philia, and the agape. I'm not going there this morning. You've already heard that, so we're going in a different direction. This morning, I want to talk to you about four misconceptions regarding the love of God. The first is that God loves everybody the same. 
It doesn't matter who you are, he loves you the same. No matter what you've done, he loves you the same. Kind of reminds me of an old friend I had. He was always walking around saying, I love my wife, I love my baby, I love my biscuits covered in gravy. Now, he used love three times, didn't he? But there's three different meanings. The way he loves his wife is not the way he loves his baby. And the way he loves his baby is not the way he loves his biscuits and gravy. You know what I'm saying? There are different connotations, definitions, examples of the word of God, of the love of God. Theologians say that God is sovereign. That simply means God can love anybody at any time, any way he chooses to do it. He can show his love in a variety of ways to any person, any time, any place. So to say God loves everybody the same is putting God in this little box, isn't it? It's saying that you're no longer sovereign. You have to do what we have defined you as doing. Oh, I want to break that open for you this morning, and I want you to see and understand God can do what he wants to do, and because he's sovereign, he can love you as you need him to love you, as he knows you need him to love you at any time. When Philip, my youngest son, was in kindergarten... He, uh, they were learning the alphabet. And so when the letter K came up, I found out about this after the fact, he took his pocket knife to school. He said, oh my goodness, a po- kindergarten with a pocket knife. Yeah, it's okay. I raised him that way. It's all right. Don't worry about it, okay? Just take a chill pill. We're from Oklahoma. It's all right. Every boy has a pocket knife there. Well, I got a call from the principal about 10 o'clock in the morning, and he's laughing. He's saying, Steve, he's my friend. Would you mind coming to the school and picking up this pocket knife Philip brought? I said, he brought a knife? Yeah, he brought a knife because we're studying the letter K and he knew knife started with K. Well, I was thrilled that he knew knife started with K. You know what I mean? I didn't discipline him. I didn't punish him. I patted him on the back. I said, good job, son. Now don't take your knife to school anymore. It might be a problem, but I'm thrilled you knew K started with an N or K, not an N. You see what I'm saying? You love him differently. You love him differently. We need to understand that's the way God does it as well. God chooses to love the world. That's what John 3.16 tells us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He chooses to love the world. But listen to this. Watch this. He lavishes his love upon his children. He doesn't love us the same. When I come into the family of God and I'm not part of the immediate family, I have right, I have access, I have a greater knowledge and depth of God's love, and God lavishes His love on me. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm glad God doesn't love us all the same, but through His sovereignness, He can express His love differently to different people. Number two, the second thing I want you to get out of your thinking is that God's love cancels God's holiness. See, that's a common teaching in the church today because we don't understand when we're born again, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. We fail to understand new creation is also about transformation. The old man dies, a new man comes to life through Jesus Christ. So we need to understand some people think that When I die and I get up to the pearly gates, God, because he loves me so much, is just going to say, ah, shucks, go ahead and come on in. I love you. I know you don't deserve it. I know you didn't believe on my son, but I love you so much. Go ahead and come on in. No, my friend, that's a fallacy. That's an error. 
We need to understand God has given us a plan to know Him, to access Him. And that plan is through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we need to understand God's love is not some benevolent softness that overlooks our sin and overlooks our error. God will never contradict His own nature, and His love will never contradict His own nature. So the whole idea of if you love me, you will accept me because you love me doesn't fly when you understand God's love. God loved you enough that he already made a way of escape. He provided a sacrifice. Read John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. Read the entirety of it because it says in that passage, he loved us so much that he gave his son as the, and I love this old King James word, propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice, the penalty, the price that was paid at Calvary displays God's love to you and me. The third thing we need to get out of our minds regarding God's love is that God's love means everybody will be saved. Everybody's going to be okay. That's the heresy of universalism. It's rampant in the church world today. We have so watered down the gospel that we think everybody's going to make it. There's not just one way. There are many ways to God. I've come to tell you this morning, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You and I need to understand God does love the world, but He is not going to subvert His plan and make it open to everyone if you don't accept Christ as your Savior. Are you saying that people that are serving other gods, aren't going to make it? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying. Well, that's harsh. That's hard line. No, that's the Word of God. You see, we have so tried to accommodate everybody and everything, we have lost our way. It's time for the church one more time to declare, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's the whole reason He came. I mean, why would Jesus come? Why would he lay aside his divinity? Why would he accept the form of a man? Why would he live in this life? Why would he endure what we endure except he was making a way that we couldn't make for ourselves? Except he was providing a path we would never find outside of him. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it's the talking about the sheep and the goats. And he said, at that day, everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But they will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And you know what he says in that verse? He says it very clearly. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you workers of iniquity. So we need to understand there's just one way. Everybody isn't going to make it. And that's a sad truth. But... It shouldn't make us sad. It should motivate us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It should motivate us to be witnesses unto Jesus Christ. It should motivate us to say, I'm going to do more than I've ever done before. If I can't go, I'm going to give so somebody else can go. And if I can't go, I'm going to pray for those who have went. I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm going to store up treasures in heaven because that's what God is interested in. Then the fourth thing I want to dispel this morning is that God is love is the same as love is God. The first part's certainly true. God is love. First John 4, 8. God is love. That's the core of his being. That's who he is. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here this morning, because God loves us. 
Now, I've got to tell you something. If it wasn't for the fact that God loves me and God redeemed me and God saved me and God pulled my feet out of the miry clay and set me on a rock, if it wasn't for the fact that God did a miraculous work of rebirth in my life, I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be fishing. I'd be at the lake. I'd be sleeping in. I'd be hanging out at the pool. I'd be planning the rest of my weekend. Who knows what I would be doing? But because I understand God is love, and He loved me, and I've experienced His love, I want to come together with other folks who know the same thing, and I want to lift up His name. I want to magnify Him. I want to praise Him. I want to exalt Him. I want to declare in the hearing of those around me, my God is love. However, that's not the same. As love is God. Not the same at all. Matter of fact, that's a completely untrue statement. Not all love is God. Do you realize there are some men that love rape and murder? That's not of God. There are some folks that love darkness rather than light. That's not of God. There are some people that like deception and violence rather than God. That's not of God. So to say that love is God... At best, it's completely untrue. At, at, at worst, it's complete, at best, it's completely untrue. Having trouble with my tongue this morning. Y'all pray for me. At best, it's completely untrue. At worst, it's nothing more than New Age pantheism. If you don't know what that word means, look it up. It means to serve a variety of gods, a plethora of gods, which is what New Age teaches us. So let's talk this morning about what really is the love of God. Paul describes the love of God, but he doesn't define the love of God in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, where he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, do you hear this verse? In all these things, look at it, it's right there on the screen. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In all the things He just described, we overcome them because He loves us. And then it goes on in verse 38 to say, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he tells us what love does. He doesn't tell you what love is. I'm glad to know what love does, aren't you? I'm glad to know that through the love of God, I am secure, that nothing I encounter in this life or in eternity has the power to separate me from him. I'm going to hang on to his unchanging hand. I'm going to hang on to the God who never fails and to the God who loves me. So what is the love of God? Let's talk about that. As I was preparing and studying for this message, I read a lot of different theologians and their definitions of what is the love of God. And to be honest with you, I came away a little confused and a little depressed because I realized according to these eggheads, it's impossible to simply define the love of God. Too many words, too much big language, it just doesn't work. And I like to be simple. I like to make it understandable. But because I can't simply define in an easy, clear way the love of God, it doesn't mean the love of God doesn't exist. So I came to this position. I know God's love exists when I see it in action. 
I know it's there when I see it taking place around me. You know, several years ago, Yvonne and I were out to dinner. We're at a restaurant, a nice restaurant, you know, one with the linen tablecloths and linen napkins, all that kind of stuff, you know. We're at McDonald's. We're at a nice place. And there was an older couple sitting uh, a few tables away from us. And when they got up to leave, he stopped and he looked at me and then he looked at Yvonne and he said, it's so nice to see a young lady out with her daddy. Oh, stabbed me through the heart. Stab me through the heart. She does look a lot younger than I am. That's because my life has been lived on dirt roads. You understand that, right? I've always looked old for my age. Matter of fact, it wasn't long ago we were with Takura's, Katura's girls and they were guessing my age. And one of them said 72. No, not there yet. Another one said 84. No, not there yet. And then Taylor circled back around. She said 45. Now there's love. I like that. I like that. You see, we know God's love when we see it, when it's displayed for us. We say, now that's God's love. We identify it by the actions it causes or creates. So look at the difference between our love as humans and God's love. Our love is influenced. His love is uninfluenced. Our love is conditional. His love is unconditional. Our love is changing. His love is unchanging. Our love is temporary. His love is eternal. You see, our love is generally in response to conditions or circumstances around us. That's how we know love. We love someone because they please us, or because they seem attractive to us, or because they pay attention to us, or because they make us laugh, or because we feel fulfilled around them. But that's not God's love. See, by God's, by contrast, God's love is utterly uncaused. There's not a thing you can do to make God love you. And there's not a thing you cannot do to make God love you. I say that because I want you to understand the old habits and the old traditions, the old rituals of religion fall away. The chains are broken in the love of God. I cannot perform well enough to make God love me. By the same token, I can't be bad enough to make God not love me. It's just what he does, and his love for me is completely uncaused by my behavior or by who I am. He loves us because that's simply the kind of God he is. You need to remember that. Simply the kind of God he is. It's not because of, let me rephrase that. It's not because of your beauty. I don't have any. It's not because of your wealth. It's not because of your wisdom. It's not because of your promise to love him back. Our love is conditional and temporary. His love is unconditional and eternal, completely uncaused. Remember this, nothing in us causes God to love us. Nothing. So I'm not sure I believe that. I'm a really good person. Well, turn to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to dispel that myth as well. Because verses 6 through 8, Paul said, when we were without strength, from the NIV, he said, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice verse 6, he said, we were powerless and ungodly. 
To be powerless means we can't change our nature. To be ungodly means we don't want to change our nature. When we were powerless and ungodly, Christ died for us. Verse 8 adds that we were sinners, meaning we're in desperate need of a change, but we couldn't affect that change. We couldn't trip the trigger to make it happen. And more than that, we didn't even want to. We didn't know we needed to. There's no more hopeless situation painted than what you see painted in these verses. We're hopeless. We're powerless. We're ungodly. We're sinners. Outside of the love of God, we have no hope. It's not a very pretty list, is it? But those three words describe every one of us without Jesus Christ. It describes the entire human race without Jesus Christ. The truth is those three words leave us with no hope in ourselves. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can't be moral enough. I can't be good enough to ever earn the love of God. I cannot perform well enough to do away with the fact that I'm powerless and ungodly and a sinner. It's impossible. It just can't happen. It's God's judgment on the entire human race. And it leaves us with no hope in ourselves. But we need to understand God's love is completely independent of anything in you because of this one fact. He thinks you're worth loving. He thinks you're worth loving. He wants to invest in you. There's nothing in you that forces God to love you. It's His choice. Matter of fact, if I could use this statement, when we are in sin, sin uglifies. I know that's not a word, but you can make it one right now. Everybody say it with me. Uglifies. Uglifies. Sin uglifies a person. Sin makes us unattractive to God. Sin distorts everything within us so that we are repulsive to the presence of God. But God loves us so much, He still comes to us. I love that. There's no reason for God to love us. No reason except this one statement, that's the kind of God He is. See, so many think that God is there ready to beat them over the head, you know, like that Pokemon game in Chuck E. Cheese. Just slap them every time they stick their head up. That's not true. God wants to love you. God wants to redeem you. God wants to transform you. God wants to fill you with grace and mercy. God wants you to experience His compassion and kindness. God wants you to know His plan and His purpose for your life. God has great things for you. We've got to accept that. My oldest son, Chris, was in the sixth grade, going into the sixth grade. We were moving from a pastorate in southern Kansas to northern Kansas. In that particular pastorate, the high school basketball coach had came in and got saved. He'd been there for several years. Chris loved Kent Wire, was convinced that when he played basketball in high school, Kent Wire would be his coach, and they'd win the state championship. So when I told him we were moving, he was very distraught. He said, but Dad... I'll never win the championship unless I'm here and Kent is my coach. I made this statement to him, Chris, I really don't know what God thinks about basketball, but I know what God thinks about 12-year-old boys. And if that's a dream God has placed in your heart, it doesn't matter where we land, God's going to fulfill it and honor it because he loves 12-year-old boys. Fast forward six years, he was a senior in high school. He's on the high school basketball team at Shawnee Heights. They were 10 and 7 going into regional play. They shouldn't have won. They shouldn't have done anything. But they swept the region. Then they went to state. They were seeded 
number eight in a field of eight teams. Somehow they won all those games. They ended up in the championship game playing against a team that had three Division I prospects. And none on Chris's team. They were just good boys, good players. They didn't have that kind of talent. But somehow, I kid you not, at the last minute, they won that game. At the buzzer, they won that game, and he was a state champion. Doesn't make any sense, but it shows God's love. So every time I think about that, I think, I saw the love of God. I saw God take one Christian boy, because nobody else on his team was a believer, And honor the dream that was in his heart. Those boys should never have won anything. But somehow, God, through his amazing love, poured his love out through my son and gave him the desire of his heart. That's an amazing thing. You see, I may not be able to clearly define God's love, but I can tell you what it is when I see it. I can tell you what it looks like when I see it in action. So we need to understand that God's love is greater than our sin, and God's love is greater in spite of our sin. Let's talk about the extent of God's love. Verses 7 and 8 of Romans chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we will be saved from wrath through Him. Now I want you to think about those verses because it reveals the unearthly, unhuman nature of the love of God. God had a solution to our problem that we couldn't fix, and His solution was His Son, Jesus Christ. Two statements summarize these two verses. Number one, God went far beyond what we would do. Verse 7, for scarcely, very rarely, Will anyone die for a righteous man? Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. So here's a question for you. I want you to discuss it over lunch today. Who are you willing to die for? Think about it. Who are you willing to die for? Maybe your spouse. Maybe your kids. Maybe, maybe, maybe your best friend. But beyond that, it's a pretty short list. I mean, you're not even talking about casual acquaintances. You're not going to die for them. You're not even addressing the 7 billion other people in the world that have no part in this conversation. You're not going to die for them. Think about how unearthly, unhuman God's love really is in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we are aliens and strangers and foreigners to the household of God, God sent His Son and brought those who are far away near through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thought that we have the advantage of experiencing the love of God. God went far beyond anything you and I would do. And secondly, God did what we would never do. Verse 8 said, but God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we like to put the emphasis upon the last part of that. Christ died for us. But really, contextually, the emphasis is on the first part of that phrase. While we were still sinners. While we were unlovely. While we were uglified by sin. While we were separated from Him, while we were enemies to God, God died for us. 
Oh, I can see God's love. I can see it in action. I can see it in you here today. I can see individuals whose lives have been transformed and changed because of the love of God. I may not be able to define it, but I can say there it is every time I see it. And every time I look at someone who's known him as the Lord and Savior, I say there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. I can see it and say, that's it. Now think about this with me for just a minute. When Jesus died, he didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He didn't die for, let me put it this way. He died for those who crucified him, not for those 12 who followed him. He died for those who hated him. He died for those who rejected him. He died for those who cheered as nails were driven in his hands. He didn't die for good people. He died for bad people. He didn't die for saints. He died for sinners. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He didn't die for those who loved him. He died for those who hated him. Who are we willing to die for? I'm so glad that Jesus was willing to die for me. An enemy, a stranger, a foreigner to the household of God. He died for me. You see, the death of Jesus Christ at Calvary is the definition of God's love. I can look at the cross and I can say, there it is. That's the love of God. There it is. That's how I define it. That one man took upon himself the form of man. He bore my sins and your sins. He took him to the cross. He was beaten and bruised and bloody. And he died that I could know the love of God, that I could experience the love of God. People say all the time, well, why is this world so crazy? If God is love, why are so many bad things happening? Why are things so upside down? Why so much killing? Why so much heartache? Why so much tragedy? Why so much pain? Where is the love of God? And every time someone asks me that question, I point them to the cross. See, because it's at the cross God showed and defined his love so that you and I didn't have to be the way we always were, but we could walk into a new relationship, be a part of a new family, experience love as we've never experienced it before. Whenever someone says to me, I have a trouble with the love of God because of what my father did to me, I point him to the cross. Every time somebody says, I can't trust God because I was abused as a child, I point them to the cross. Every time somebody says, I'm not going to church because of what that preacher did, I point them to the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying, friend? It's time that you and I recognize the love of God is defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. Proof positive that God loves you was at the cross. Where the Son of Man who was sinless took the sin of the entire world and died for all humanity. So that everyone who believes on His name should not perish, but have everlasting life. Tom, come back please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this room this morning. You're here today and you need to know and understand the love of God. I know there's more in your outline. You can take that home and read it later. Pair the verses up with the statements and let God speak to you. You're here this morning and God is talking to your heart and He has been all morning long about the fact that He loves you, He cares for you. He wants to lavish His love on you. You're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never made yourself available. You've never 
taken that step to let Jesus come into your heart and into your life. This morning, this is your moment. This is your time for you to say, I believe God does love me. And I believe the love of God has the power to change me. And I believe the cross is real and Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. And I want my life to be unuglified today. I want Jesus to come in, to forgive me, to save me, to change me, to transform me. I'm talking to you this morning. The Holy Spirit's talking to you this morning. And he's saying to you, this is your day and this is your hour be different, to be transformed, to be saved. Right where you sit, that's you. You know it's you. You're here in this service for this very reason, to accept Christ as your Savior. That's you. Would you just simply say, by raising your hand, Steve, you're talking to me. That's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be transformed and changed. I need to be forgiven. Yes, sir. So wait a moment. Anyone else want to join this young man? by raising your hand right where you sit, saying, that's me. I need Jesus in my heart and in my life. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So wait another moment. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Anyone else? So wait another moment. Stand to your feet with me today. Across this room, would you pray this prayer with me? Those two men who raised your hands, pray this prayer with me. Let's believe that God's going to do a work in your life and in your heart today. Pray it out loud, church. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. I ask you to forgive my sins. Change my heart. Make me a new person. I ask you to come into my life be my Lord and Savior. I receive you. I accept you. Thank you for hearing my prayer and changing my heart. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are still closed. You're a believer in this room this morning and you have doubted the love of God. You have said, how can I go through this stuff if God really loves me? How can I endure these things if God really loves me? I've come this morning to assure you that He really does. He does have a plan for your life. He does have something special for you. And He's going to see you through what you're going through. Because Paul said, neither life nor death, angels or demons, past nor future, is able to separate you from the love of God. So that's you this morning. I just want to pray for you. I want to ask God's love to cover you, fulfill you, and flow through you that's you you just need to know god loves you just lift your hand i want to pray for you right where you stand yes anyone else yes 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 others yes father in the name of jesus i pray for these many who desperately need to know there is a god that loves them and cares for them that regardless of the circumstance nothing will ever separate them from the love of god draw them closer draw them near put your arms around them and shower them cover them Drench them in the love of a living God. Pour your mighty spirit out upon them today, I pray. God, as they leave this place in just a few moments, let them know they're leaving loved by God. Their past does not define them. The cross defines them. 
What they're enduring does not define them. What you endured defines them. And would you remind each and every one that when I receive the love of God, it's evidence, it's visible, it's demonstrable in my heart and in my life. So now love your church as only you can do. Pour your spirit up on on your church as only you can do. Reveal yourself as a God of grace and mercy, of strength and power as only you can do. Let your love flow in this room. And Lord, before we leave this place today, let the love of God be evidenced by every person here this morning. I pray it in the name that is above every name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful today for what God did for you and me? Aren't you thankful that He is more than sufficient for all of our needs? Amen. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.